Welcome back to the Sinestro Podcast, where we discuss the movies that we love, new and old. I'm your host, Ferris Bueller, and today we are joined by a new friend of the Sinestro Podcast, uh, Sean Riley. Uh, give yourself a little brief introduction. She's a fellow filmmaker as well. Yeah. Hi. Thank you for having me. Um, yeah, my name is Sean. I currently live in the upper Midwest of the USA, and I used to live in Los Angeles. How, what was that like as a film? Did that was uh, I, I would assume Los Angeles is extremely expi- inspiring. For, it is you know, the field that, that we're in. It is. I thought you were going to say expensive, which is also true. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, you really can't take anything for granted living in Los Angeles um, as long as you're doing what you want to do. Um, so I found it incredibly inspiring for sure. And so how did you get your start into filmmaking? What, like how many, uh, so how many films have you done uh, yourself, have written? Well, I got my start because I went to film school. And then I moved to Los Angeles and I actually worked behind the scenes for a few years um, doing casting and various other things like that. And then I moved on to acting. So I'm just kind of getting into, uh, you know, producing my own films and directing, executive producing, like all kinds of different things. But this is the very first film that I will be a part of in all aspects. That's that's amazing. What um, what other uh, I mean, what roles have you done uh, as far as acting goes that any memorable, notable uh, roles that you that you, you know, uh, think of fondly? Sure. Uh, I was on Mad Men. Uh, I was a little blip on that show, but I worked an entire season and I've done a show on Showtime called Masters of Sex. I was on the first season of that show as well. It's not as um as uh, sketchy as it sounds on my parts, but um, and then I know, the I know the show. It's uh, with okay, Michael good. Sheen and uh, Lizzie Kaplan, right? Exactly. Yeah. 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 I watched the first season. It's pretty good. Yeah, it's kind of strange telling people the title of that show if they're not familiar. <laughs> so I don't yeah, often yeah. mention that one, but um, it was a very important part of uh, acting for me. That's where I had a lot of people. Um, they saw the upfronts in Los Angeles, and that's where you kind of test out a TV show among audiences in the industry, and they give all kinds of feedback to the network. And I got a ton of messages after the upfronts for that show aired. I ended up having my role edited down quite a bit when I appeared on the show, but I still got to film all of these amazing things and, and all of that stuff. So I hold that experience very dear to my heart. That is awesome. Question, what was it like being on set with Don Draper? <laughs> you know what? Um, John Hamm was amazing. Uh, he is a super professional at what he does. And I remember... Um, specifically one day I was kind of doing some ballerina spins outside of Don Draper's office, if you will, in between scenes. And John Hamm walked over and he was like, Hey, can you teach me some things? So it's it's kind of interesting because, you know, here he is dressed in his suit and, you know, he had just come from doing like a super long monologue and he wants to learn these ballet moves. So it was pretty cool. That's awesome. It it must be uh, a little intimidating, but also inspiring to be like, you know, working with the likes of those guys, because they it's like, what kind of, a, I guess, what kind of battery did it put in your back uh, being there? Oh, that's an interesting question. Um, you know, everyone on that set is literally the best in the industry. Everyone is super professional and super good at what they do on that set. So I felt inspired every day I went there to just kind of get that free training, if you will, just kind of observing everybody and asking questions when I could and just kind of taking it all in. But it was very energetic um, in that sense that, you know, you you go in there inspired, but you leave feeling even more inspired just because you can't really help it being in that environment. Yeah, I mean, it's I would I I, I wouldn't be able to because I've never worked on a TV set before. I've worked on uh, like uh, I've done internships and worked on uh, Lifetime movies and stuff like that. Sure. And I've seen uh, I guess my next question would be this is, is I've seen what it what it's like uh, to have an actor, a talented actor uh, recite um, mediocre script. Right. A mediocre sure. script lines. Uh, and it blew my mind to to, to see you know, where these actors took it. So I, I, I just wanted to, like, what was it like to see the professionals uh, reading good lines, making it even better? <laughs> is that is that how it works? Well, 
you know, I'm not really sure I have a point of reference to compare it to um, as compared to so-called bad scripts, um, if you will. But, you know, every set is a different experience, but I find that everyone is super prepared. And uh, I think every production that I've worked on has had phenomenal screenplays. So maybe maybe that's not the best question for, for me for point of reference. But at the same time... Um, you know, it, it was cool to see what kinds of choices they would make in the moment and, and uh, you know, just kind of learn from observing people and watch how they would do different takes differently and, and things like that. I thought I thought it was super cool. Well, I don't mean to bash the uh, the, um, the, the Hallmark and Lifetime sure. movie. <laughs> mediocre. I, mean, I should say formulaic because it's purposefully so formulaic. And this yeah. is like, it's very, it's very niche and, and, and it's catering to a certain audience. It's, it's. So yes, I, I I don't mean to bash them. My no, of course. <laughs> no, that's okay. I mean, hey, maybe I've worked on some things that weren't you know quite to that caliber, but they're not really coming to mind, honestly. Because I mean, it doesn't really get any better than the writing on Mad Men. Let's be honest; it's it's up there. Yeah, that's like airtight script writing for sure. Uh, so speaking of airtight script writing, how did your first uh, is this your first feature length, right? Am I? It is. Or? It is. Nope. So what inspired it uh, and uh, what made you want to kind of pull the trigger on this? Well, the events actually come from my own life, things that I experienced in my earlier to mid-20s. And, you know, it was kind of a bunch of things that happened where I realized the importance much later. Um, I like to think my life unfolds cinematically anyway, but uh, when I was thinking back on my life and what I really wanted to write about, because I think it's very important to me to include something that personal, um, like these events came to mind because they deal with a variety of things. I mean, we really delve into mental health and the aspect of PTSD and how that carries over from childhood. And that's kind of a different perspective than you normally see in films when they talk about mental health um, and especially PTSD, because films often uh, will talk about PTSD from veterans that come back from war, which is super important in its own right. But that's not something that's a part of my experience. So when I was really thinking about how I could make, you know, really a unique mark I, I realized that PTSD that stems from childhood is not an issue you see often in films. When I was doing my researching, I really didn't find a whole lot of that. Um, there's uh, a movie called We Need to Talk About Kevin with Ezra Miller, and that very much deals with it, but it, it kind of stops in his teenage years. So I wanted to show that it's, it's a relatable issue for people as they navigate into adulthood in their 20s and 30s, and then also how it affects other people around them. So it was very important for me to include not only my film experience um, with my education, but also I have a psychology degree, which a lot of people don't, don't know. So I kind of wanted to fuse those things together and tell my own personal story as well. Okay, so cool. And it's, 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 it's like, I think it's coincidental you say that because the first script that I wrote, uh, well, that I'm directing, I guess I'm trying to direct, try my hand at directing uh, soon, is about PTSD as well. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. It's I mean, short. nice, but not nice. You know what I mean? I mean, exactly what you said. It's something that, it, it doesn't go away, right? It's not something, mm -hmm. it's, it's a mountain that's here to stay. I uh, I wanted to do one without getting any details, you know, spoiling it or anything. I just wanted to do a uh, you know outside of the therapist's office because I felt like that was beat to death, right? Yeah, so definitely. I wanted to kind of you know sh because for me, my PTSD is like I at one point uh, I like you know shake involuntary when uh, you know a door would slam and like things sure. like you know. Traumatic that I've had, right? So, like, without getting into too much details, but yes, I, I I totally understand what you're talking about, and I feel like the representation, you know, it's not it's it's not only war veterans that have PTSD. There's a lot of people living with it, uh, and trying to navigate day to day and trying not to drown. And I I mean I think exactly you're on something really beautiful because that's that's the next step in talking about our mental health, right? Every like there's PTSD from, you know, generational PTSD. There's PTSD from, you know, violence that teens and, and young men and women endure. And no one really talks about it, especially for the guys. They, they really, they're told to take it on the chin, right? Yeah. 
Yeah, it's. I'm actually glad that you mentioned that um, regarding males because the lead in this film, I actually wrote it from the perspective of the male in this film, um, which is something you often don't see from female filmmakers as well, uh, especially regarding something so personal. But yeah, the, the male character is the one suffering from the PTSD because of all of these traumatic things that happened in his childhood. And we, we really delve into that in the film, where it stems from and you know how it affects his day-to-day living, exactly how you explained. So I, I think we have that in common with our films, which is super cool. Yeah, that is cool. And I, and I feel like it's not, I feel like these, you know, as, as filmmakers, as writers, it is kind of our responsibility to talk about that. Uh, but not so much in a preachy way, but just like kind of exploring it and shedding light on it. Because it's true, like you said, people always associate PTSD to war veterans. Uh, but I, I think mental health is not something, there's some people that romanticize it. There's some people that don't know much about it. And I feel like there's a middle ground that we need to like kind of shine a light on. Absolutely. That's a perfect way to describe it. I agree. I also tried to avoid the uh, therapist office approach as well. Um, because, you know, sitting in on a therapy session, okay, like you, that's not necessarily relatable, because they're talking about very personal things. Whereas if you show it in everyday scenarios, it, people resonate with that a little bit more, because they can be like, oh, that's how you know, this person is when they have to go to work every day, or that's how they are when they interact with the other person they're in a relationship with. So I definitely wanted to stress that in this screenplay. We are crowdfunding at the moment, um, which I know is the popular route in indie film. It's not the most desirable route for any filmmaker, but when you think about the different ways you can get your film made in independent film, you, you can seek investors. Um, you know, a lot of people seem to believe in this project, but when you think of people actually putting their money where their opinions are, like, hey, I support this film, like, actually seeing it happen is a different story. And that's kind of something that we're, you know, finding out a little bit when we're seeking different, different avenues of funding. So we're getting kind of creative and, you know, not relying just entirely on crowdfunding, but it is a very important aspect for us to see, you know, who actually really supports this and believes in it. Well, we filmed the trailer, and I think a lot of people actually get confused because our, I mean, our trailer looks like it could be a part of a full film. That was the point. <laughs> but we do plan to film it in May, so we're you know kind of getting all of the funding and things together right now. Nice. So, I mean, for any up-and-coming filmmaker, would you recommend you know kind of shooting just a scene or a trailer just to like kind of get the hype up? Well, you know... It seems the the most common route these days is for people to try to make a short film as a proof of concept and then seek funding with that. Um, that can work, but when you realistic, realistically look at the statistics of the number of films that get made that way, it isn't very high. So that is something that we have talked about doing as well. Um, but it's not the most ideal route. So in my opinion, I think making a trailer to get people interested in seeing like, hey, you know, these people do look capable of being able to make a film. I think that's a great way to do it. Um, of course, we're navigating that route at the moment. So I don't know if it's the best route, but, you know, there's many different ways you can do it. I would say if you really want to make a short film, just make a short film. If you want to make a feature, you know, go all out, make that teaser trailer like we did and then spend your actual money and resources on making the full film that's just from my own perspective i mean that makes a lot of sense i i the thing is uh, i know there's a fine art to the trailer right mm -hmm. you've seen movies that kind of botched it and like gave too much away and then you've seen other movies where it's like oh my god like a christopher nolan movie for example he can do any kind of trailer yeah. uh, he, i think he has the, the art of the trailer down like to a science because we don't know what the hell he's talking about in that movie. <laughs> but we're intrigued. <laughs> yeah, we, we weren't in, right? So, like, you know, if you've seen, like, the trailer for Interstellar or, like, you know, or, 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 or Inception or, or even the new one, Tenet. Yeah, like, that's the one I was thinking of. <laughs> and so I feel like the trailer itself is its own, like, that's its own art form. And, like, you have to have a, a different kind of discipline for that, right? Yeah, I feel like trailers are almost a little more difficult than short films, um, but it really challenges you to tell a story in such a super short amount of time, and it gets people excited, and it gets people talking. You know, I've had people reach out to me, and they, they understand the mental health aspect just from watching our trailer, which is exactly what we wanted to get across, and, you know, people have reached out to me with these 
personal stories about what they've gone through and they show me that they have related just to the trailer. So it, it gets people excited. Whereas a short film, you're telling the full story and then, you know, people will talk about the full story. So it's kind of like different disciplines, if you will. When it comes to um, writing feature length scripts, have you found uh, uh, not like, have you found it tough not to stand on a soapbox sometimes? Like to kind of like, be because once you start writing dialogue and like your action lines and everything and you're in a flow and you're good do you ever get to a point where you get too wordy sometimes and you're like okay i gotta i gotta cut back because i'm sounding like this is becoming a, a long soliloquy you know what i've actually embraced being wordy that is very much my style and i used to like preface my beta readers by saying i understand this is wordy compared to most screenplays but bear with me they not one of them has complained about it so I stopped like putting that warning out there and people just read it and nobody has said that my style is wordy so I never really think about that when I write um my stories come to me pretty naturally I don't really find myself having to be like oh so what happens next they just kind of form and that's you know even outside of better which was based on real events I still had to flesh that out into a story but you know, my next screenplay that I that is finished as well, um, it comes inspired based on things from real life. But at the same time, like it's a completely fabricated story. But I didn't hold back. I just kind of I kind of just go for it. OK, nice. So what you're saying is maybe I should just embrace the inner nerd and let, let, let it. <laughs> Yeah, I've, you know, I've actually had conversations. Um, I had one with our director, Amy, the other day. So we have a, a female director on this film. And she has written her own short films and directed them as well. And I find that speaking with different filmmakers that have written their films, we all come from different processes. But most of the time, a lot of people are so focused on the structure and making sure that they have all of the components to tell a story that the story kind of suffers. So I say when you go into it, you just go into it writing and then later on make sure you have all of the components in that story so that way your story kind of comes out a little more organically than you know forced if you will and I can tell a difference when I read screenplays too I read for film festivals as well and I can really tell a difference between a director that is confident in their story and they just tell the story as opposed to those that are really focused on the structure Yes. I, so I, I, I graduated from the script writing program at uh, the local college here nice. and I got my work destroyed. And so oh. they focused on structure. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. but it, the good thing is it taught me, I kind of have the structure down naturally now, right? right. Like I don't have to worry about structure as much. I, like later on, obviously I'll, I'll, when I revise, then I'll think about it. So I think you're kind of right. Like now getting to a, once you learn it, getting to a place where you can just write, and then worry about structure later is more comfortable as, as, a, as a writer. Right. I mean, we all have our different processes, but I think that that really gives you a lot more freedom to do it that way. Uh, that's something that I found from my own experience in film school was all of my professors, they would always comment on my writing. You're such a good writer. And, you know, it was something that I always knew that I had, but it wasn't necessarily a skill that I planned to utilize in a film. I never really thought that I would be writing screenplays, to be honest. It was like one of the last things I wanted to do. But, you know, you kind of just discover where your talent lies and, and use it to the best of your ability. For sure. And like, I think the transition from writing prose to, to writing script is like, I, I found that it is writing script, uh, like screenplays is, is kind of my favorite medium to, 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 to tell stories. I mean, it comes out because they because of the way we were taught to, to, for ex, uh, to, uh, to show exposition. Uh, I found that, you know, T uh, show me, not uh, don't tell me was mm -hmm. kind of my favorite rule because it, it forced me to think differently and kind of and, and, and lose old bad habits in writing. And I, I think that's I think this is actually my favorite medium. Oh, that, yeah, that's interesting. Um, I, I think when I'm done writing a film, then it becomes my favorite medium. But at the time, it can be so difficult sometimes. I mean, I'm focused on, you know, the acting component. Like, how do these lines sound as an actor? So I, I kind of think it depends where you come from going into it as well. You know, I, I am going into this as an actor uh, becoming a screenwriter. So I think your perspective kind of shapes that a little bit as well. How, how, is, how do you find navigating the industry as a, as a, as a woman? Uh... 
You know, it's been really interesting. I've had so many positive experiences, um, but now that I've gone into screenwriting, it has become a little more difficult uh, to kind of get your name out there, if you will. I'm not somebody that's out there selling my screenplays, and that could be why it's a little bit different for me. But at the same time, when you enter, say you enter film festival contests with your screenplay, I find most of the time males are always chosen. So it's really interesting um, to navigate it from this perspective as opposed to being in the industry as an actor where you can only control so much as well. I mean, it's how you look, essentially. (laughs) Um, Whereas screenwriting, you're completely anonymous other than your name, which can kind of give away, you know, whether you're male or female sometimes. Um, You know, it it really depends, but I think it is kind of difficult. Uh, I've had a lot of male filmmakers tell me that film is definitely geared more toward including females, um, which I found to be kind of interesting because I had a director tell me that he was turned down for a job because the production company was trying to find specifically a female director. That's something that I have never heard happen before, but this also happened in a different country. It wasn't in the U.S. Um, he he lives somewhere else. So Hollywood's a, a very complicated machine, but at the same time, it's also very straightforward because we can see what's happening. You know, we see who's winning awards, we see who's getting jobs, things like that. But you know, you kind of just have to, if you believe in yourself, you just keep going, and you know, maybe you'll find where you fit in. I like to say every no gets you one step closer to a yes. But yeah, I wouldn't, I, I mean, I, I kind of disagree with what that person said as saying that like, people are looking, like, it, it is a male dominated. Yeah, know, very much so. You know, we, you know, in a perfect world, you know, we will have equal opportunity for everyone. However, that's not the case right now. And so even if you get those one-off situations where somebody gets turned down because they're looking for a female filmmaker, I, that those are rare in my yeah, opinion. I think so too. <laughs> I mean, that was literally the only time I've ever heard that happen, um, you know, from someone that I know. But maybe it happens more often than we think. Probably, probably but, not. Probably not. <laughs> yeah. Well, another question is, does your name kind of get you, because your name is Sean Riley. So, like, do you get a little more opportunities uh, without having met people yet and them just reading your stuff? Um, not necessarily. So, so the weird thing is that's not my birth name. It is my, my legal name now, but my birth name definitely prevented me from getting a lot of opportunities, um, which is really sad, but it sounded very, very ethnic sounding, if you will. Um, and so even when I would apply for, you know, a regular nine to five job, you know, I would, my resume would never get made. I, I would never, I mean, read, excuse me, I would never get a call back. And I decided to do an experiment and I actually used the name that I go by now. And I suddenly started getting responses. It, it's a really weird thing, but your name is definitely part of your calling card when it comes to Hollywood. Yeah, 100%. I mean, uh, it's sad to say that, but it's true. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jamie Foxx had the same kind of situation, but he did it more just for uh, you know, numbers. Right. Name, right. But I found the same practice, uh, not for the name, but for the address, right? If people see your address, or the, the, the resumes used to have your address on it, not anymore, but they would see, you know, if you live in a certain area of the city, um, they'd deny, they wouldn't even look at your, uh, you know, your qualifications or any of that. So the name plus where, you, where you're from mm-hmm. uh, kind of disqualified you right away. And I, so I, I do understand that uh, fully having a ethnic name <laughs> it, it's it's sad but true i mean there, there's really no other way to put it mm-hmm. i mean you know sooner or later there's going to be well now the, the the internet has made the world a smaller place and sure. so the gatekeepers are hanging on for dear life they're not you know they're not budging just as much as we'd like them to but they're still budging mm-hmm. because uh i guess everybody has a camera now and everybody right. <laughs> <laughs> and, and the beautiful thing is is, is the film doesn't seem so far-fetched Right. Like there was a time where, you know, trying to be in industry was, you know, a pipe dream. And it's like now it's like, well, you know, you have everything at your disposal. Go learn, go try and, and, and make it happen. And we could do it with a lot less now than before. 
Yeah, absolutely. You can make films on no budget, essentially. It, you know, it really depends what your end goal is, too. But recently, one thing that I've been saying is there is a difference between being an amateur filmmaker and being an independent filmmaker. And I think that's where some people don't always understand, uh, especially when it comes to crowdfunding and, and trying to get your project off the ground, you know, not being in Los Angeles. Part of my team is in Los Angeles, but I'm not there at the moment. So you know, I have to make that distinction. Like we are independent filmmakers. We're not amateur filmmakers. We've all been in the industry and we know what we're doing. And that's something that's hard for people, especially in the middle of the country to wrap their heads around. You know, they're not around Hollywood. They've probably never even been there. So it's kind of, you know, when we filmed the trailer, it was important for us to get that across to people living where I live now that, you know, we know what we're doing. We have professionals on this project and that's what separates us from amateur filmmakers. But, you know, if you want to make a project just for fun, go ahead and make it for fun. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. We just kind of wanted to have that creative control in making an independent film by going the route that we did. Well, yeah. I, so there, yeah, I, I agree. There's a, there's a, you know, a real distinction between the two. Um, indie film. Um, I actually just watched a nice in, independent film last night called Code 8. Um, oh yeah, I've yeah. I, I, you've seen it? I have. I, I don't quite remember all of the details of it, but yes, I have seen it. That was a fun watch, and it was. I, I really appreciated. It looked like they 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 utilized they squeezed every piece of juice out of that fruit for that movie, right? Like mm -hmm. it wasn't. It didn't. It, it looked high budget, but I it, I I guarantee it wasn't. And it was done well, and that's what I love about. Uh, certain indie filmmakers where they have like a shoestring budget and give you this, you know, potent work of art that you're just like, wow, this has replay value. I like the dialogue. Uh, they really went for it because it was an absurd concept. And, you know, I always say that the, uh, the absurd concept only works if everybody dives in. And the homie from, from, from Arrow was in there giving it his all. And I, and I loved it. It was, it was great. Yeah, and speaking of independent films on a shoestring budget, um, Parasite, I like to mention this to people because it blows their minds, but so when you do the currency conversion of the budget for Parasite, and you know that film looks amazing, it's beautiful, uh, cinematography is incredible, they filmed that on 12000 US dollars, $12,000, mind-blowing, but they're good at what they do, so they made it work. Yes, <laughs> isn't that incredible? $12,000? Yes. And I think it's really because um, Bong Joon-ho, you know, he works with the same team of filmmakers on his projects. So, you know, they're willing to put in the work for him and, you know, do it for very little money. But yeah, $12,000, just like maybe they got their main location for free or something. I don't know. But somehow they got their budget down and, you know, now they're they're winning in all respects. So it's <laughs> super incredible story. That is crazy. Speaking of Parasite, I don't mind if it wins Best Picture. It's going to win Best Foreign Language, uh, I guess Foreign Language Film, right? They, yeah. Which, yeah, it's going to it's going to win that for sure. But if it wins Best Picture, I I do not mind. Even though my heart belongs to The Irishman, my favorite movie of twenty nineteen. <laughs> you said that earlier. I you know. Uh, Parasite, I would love to see it win both of them because that would just be an incredible moment for the Oscars, especially considering the last couple of years and, you know, how they haven't really included diversity for one thing. But this film, you know, thinking about diversity or not, this film transcends like so many things and it's definitely worthy for sure. 100%. It's, it's three genres in one, maybe four. Like right. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like in storytelling, what, in acting, whatever, like it's... It is a far superior film to like 90% of what came out in 2019. And 2019 is probably my favorite year for movies. Yeah, it was a very good year. It was crazy. Right after Avengers came out, which was my oof, beautiful swan song. Um, <laughs> Once Upon a Time in Hollywood came and... and have you, have, you, have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood? Yeah. So I remember um, even before we started the podcast, we were chatting a little bit. And, and I told you we will probably get to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. My opinions probably don't matter. But I had I don't know if I had certain ex expectations of that film or what. But I thought visually they did so much that was cool to you know bring it back to that time period. But I really did not like that film. <laughs> I'm probably one of the only people that didn't like that film. So, so oddly enough, you're not alone. There are a lot, there are a couple of my friends that felt the same way. 
Okay, um, good. <laughs> you're not alone. I think it's just like, I don't know. It, it, Tarantino to me, I, I just love his, his dialogue. I love, and, and Brad Pitt to me was never cooler in any movie. Right. Is <laughs> in this one. Um, so I, I mean, you're not, I don't think your opinion is wrong. I, I think you're entitled to it and there's reasons why. And I, and I understand uh, it just spoke to me because I, I, like while I was in the theater, I'm like, yo, this guy loves movies. Like, right. I just it was exuding the cinephile, right? Like this is a cinephile's kind of, so I don't know. I just felt right at home watching that movie and it felt, it felt kind of great, but I do understand where you're coming from. Um, I would say that as far as the Oscars go, um, you know, I think 1917 is going to win because like I said on mm-hmm. Instagram that it war movies are Academy catnip mm-hmm. and, uh, and like they, they, but this is one of the war movies that kind of deserves it. Right. Yeah. It was, it was really good. And it like, it looked phenomenal, like visually mm-hmm. is a wizard and it, that whole one take kind of a feel that they gave it was an experience, a theatrical experience. I don't think it has replay value because once the novelty wears off the first time, I feel like then you're just you know watching a video game in in, in first player in, in, in first player mode. But it 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 should be rewarded cinematography for sure. Yeah, um, definitely. Uh, the Joker, Joaquin Phoenix is taking that. I don't think. Oh yeah, there's no question, no question. And you know, Joker going into that film, I was like, oh, it's you know, it's whatever. It's the story of the Joker. I didn't really have certain expectations, but I already knew Joaquin Phoenix is an incredible actor, just you know, based on his whole library of work. But I honestly came out of that film really loving it. I think that is one of the most perfect films that has come along in years just written from the screenplay standpoint, I think they did an incredible job. Yeah, they really did well. I, I thought, and, and so Joaquin kind of held me hostage in that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did. I listened to your podcast about that <laughs> and your experience. I, I felt very on the edge of my seat too, but I, I like my eyes were glued to the screen. I just could not take my eyes off of it. I, I love him so much. I mean, he's done this to me before. Uh, <laughs> in The Master? Yeah, the master <laughs> watch, but I, it was like an achievement, and that's the thing, right? I feel like because I've had uh, you know discussions with people who didn't enjoy certain movies, but I, like they didn't enjoy the Joker, and I understand why you didn't. They didn't enjoy the Joker, uh, but it, because it's not an enjoyable movie, but right. it is a great movie, right? That's the thing, and it it, it his performance kind of takes you somewhere you don't want to be, or you didn't think you were going to go. Right, you didn't think you're gonna get there, and, and and it keeps you there. And then, I, I for me, that movie the, was all the third act. The third act to me mm-hmm. brought that because the rest of the movie to me was, and I know I, I might sound like a little bit of a hater. It, it 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 was not as smart as it thought it was. You know what I mean? And some things like it, it didn't do anything new thematically for me. But the okay, third sure. act was the that crescendo was undeniable. Yeah, and definitely. It, it made me a believer. So whatever little hater in me uh, was <laughs> right away at that third act. You know what? I think that film set out to make people feel uncomfortable in some respects. I don't think they did it on like a, a shock spectrum necessarily, but mentally, I think it was supposed to make you feel uncomfortable. So I think it did its job. Mission accomplished. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> yes. I, I actually respect Todd Phillips for that movie because, uh, you know, a lot of people were skeptical uh, that he was going to do this and switch from doing the hangover and all that stuff. And yeah, I, definitely. I was, I was, I was kind of excited because I'm like, I, I need to see, because Adam McKay made the transition first, right? From comedy to drama mm-hmm. uh, first, but like, that's the first one I saw, you know, that I, like I saw direct, you know, he left Talladega Nights and, and Step Brothers, and then he did the big short. Uh, and, su- and, and Succession, the best show on TV. The best show on TV. Thank you. Oh my God, that is the best show on TV. I, I love that show so much. <laughs> I hate every single person in that, in that show, but I can't stop watching them. <laughs> yes, right? They are all detestable people, but we, we want to root for them somehow. <laughs> Especially when Kendall Roy started rapping about his first dad's birthday. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and I actually, I learned so much um, watching the, uh, it, it was like they spoke in front of SAG-AFTRA for some of the members, some of the cast members, and they were talking about that scene, and they were talking about some of the things that Jeremy Strong improvised, and I just, 
it was so incredible to hear them talk about that. Like the jersey that he's wearing, that was totally not a wardrobe choice. He actually brought that idea to wardrobe and was like, hey, let's make this. And they did. And so it's just really cool. Like the things that they have in that show, it's just, oh, the writing is so good. And the acting. Yeah, that show is probably the easiest show I've ever had to watch. It just, I, it goes down so easy. I watch, I can watch like five episodes back to back. Yeah. It is, it is the best show on TV right now. It really you know? is. Oh, yeah. love it. But yeah, to get uh, to get back to what I was saying, Adam McKay showed us that he can transition from comedy to drama, if not both, because comedy is pretty freaking hard to write. And yeah. So, uh, I was very hopeful for Todd Phillips. I remember debating my friends. They're like, oh man, this is going to suck. I'm like, no, nah, man, I, I think, I think when, when comedy directors switch to drama, it works. And it's something that I think they're very capable of doing because the tension and relief that you get in comedy is kind of the same as in horror and thriller and, 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 and you know, psychological drama, which one, which is the Joker itself, right? So the the whole like, and that's the thing. That's another thing, actually, to comment on the Joker was the escalation of tension with no relief was insane, and it was tight. It was kind of like Uncut Gems. Have you seen Uncut Gems? Yeah, I have. Yeah. Well, it's a different kind of movie, but mm-hmm. it's the same like tension, right? Like this nonstop, like making you feel uncomfortable and, and like anything can happen at any given moment. I, I don't know, man. It, it, it really did that very well. And I thought that Todd Phillips was the guy who was going to do that because I, I, I respect the comedy director and I think they're capable of a lot more than just comedy. Oh, definitely. And, you know, even going back to Uncut Gems, since that was a big winner last night at the Independent Spirit Awards, um, they were saying that the Safdie brothers in their speech that they wrote 160 drafts of that film just to make it feel like it was not from a script. So that's kind of the experience that I think Todd Phillips brought to Joker as well is like, they're taking you on this ride, but like, it's not so formulaic, if you will. Absolutely not. I thought I thought Uncut Gems was superb. So I, my Uncut Gems did something to me that not a lot of other movies. Like Joker did it to me, but Uncut Gems did it to me even more. That that crescendo that that was the and I don't want to spoil it for anyone, but that was wow. I, I watched it at uh, the TIFF Lighthouse in Toronto, uh-huh. and my, my friend and I walked out uh, spent. If that makes sense. It's definitely an adventure is how I would describe it. Have you seen Good Time also by the Safety Brothers? Yes, I have. And let me just say, Patman, I am a fan. I'm a believer in Robert Pattinson. Yeah. Yeah. He he doesn't get as much credit as he should for his acting abilities. I mean, he's more than just the glittery vampire that everybody knows him as. He He does so much more. Yeah, and I think that was just to get, you know, a solid paycheck in your name in the industry. Yo, there's nothing. And for sure, it wasn't a bad franchise. It was, you know, it, it served its purpose. And it was, you know, it catered to a specific audience. And I, I enjoyed some of them. But he's more than that. And he's shown us that in Good Time, especially. Good Time mm-hmm. was very, uh, another hard to watch. But, like, I'm glad I watched the movie. You know what I mean? Yeah, they, the Safety Brothers definitely have their style. Um established and it's it's easy to recognize their style from a mile away and that's i think that's something that's also important for independent filmmakers um you know not being in the oscar caliber you know you're making your art but you want to put your own stamp on it because it's the same thing with screenwriting you have to have your style and that's something a lot of screenwriters lack when i read their screenplay is they don't have their own individual voice which is really disappointing because you always want to root for other filmmakers um and screenwriters when i'm reading the screenplays but if if you don't have that like personalized style and stamp on your work, like it just kind of fades into everything else and it doesn't really make you stand out. For sure. The signature is, is necessary for any screenwriter and director, independent filmmaker uh, in general. And uh, the Safdie brothers are a perfect example of guys who have, you know, who've, you know, put their money where their mouth is and bet on themselves. And mm-hmm. and now they, they got a fan for life in me. Like I bought season tickets, whatever they do. <laughs> yeah. I actually used to be a part of an independent film website where you could watch films. Um, I don't remember what it, what it was called now because I don't think it exists, but they used to have a lot of short films on there from the Safdie brothers before anyone even knew who they were. And every time I would go on there to watch films, I gravitated toward their films. So it's really cool to see like how successful they've become since doing those short films. Nice. So do you have anything else you want to plug about your film? 
Uh, well, we are crowdfunding on Indiegogo right now. So it's HTTPS dot slash slash that whole thing. No www, but IGG dot M-E slash at A-T slash better. And you can probably put that along in your in your podcast notes as well. But we uh, definitely are hoping to get more of an organic um, fundraising approach. We want to see that people believe in this film because mental health is at the heart of it. And, you know, I see so many people on social media talking about how, you know, we need to talk about mental health. Mental health is extremely important, but, you know, we need their support in order to make this film for people to see it and realize how important it is. So definitely uh, check out our Indiegogo if you can. We're also at better.thefilm on Instagram. we have kind of a slow build in following over there, but you know, we kind of work on multiple platforms at the moment, but I think it's definitely important to get this film made. Well, I'll definitely share your link on, on all platforms. So I had uh, one question for you. Uh, well, not one, a couple of questions for Oscar sure. prediction. Yeah. Let's talk Oscars. Yes. Talk Oscars. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So categories, who are you going for? Cause you saw who I like, who I was going for on my categories. Who are you going for for uh, best lead actress? Uh, lead actress. Mm-hmm. I actually have the list up on a screen on my computer in front of me. <laughs> um, that's a hard one. Uh, I would say Renee for Judy, though. Yes. I'm going to stick with that. I think Charlize gave an amazing performance as well, but I, you know, I think that she has so much more in her still. I think Judy is kind of a pinnacle moment for Renee Zellweger. Yeah, I, p- I picked uh, I picked uh, Renee for that as well for Judy. She's sweeping um, all the awards this year. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's just like Brad Pitt is walking into an Oscar. Right. <laughs> yeah, Brad Pitt is definitely winning his category. Yeah, I, even though my heart wanted to see Al Pacino. Oh, of yeah. course. <laughs> that performance. I watched The Irishman three times. <laughs> Did that long movie you watched three times? That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I'm, a, I'm, like a, I'm like a Scorsese season ticket holder. Like, okay. Yeah, yeah, I'm in. Um, I feel like the Irishman was like, it spoke to me because I, 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 it's a story of regret and, you know, uh, mortality and it's just one big confession. And I, and I, and I appreciated the journey. I thought it was purposeful. I didn't think it was too long. Uh, I went on a rant about that <laughs> in one of my other episodes of the podcast because I hear everybody saying, well, I would have cut this and I would have cut that. Uh, no. You're not a filmmaker. You're not a better <laughs> filmmaker than Martin Scorsese. So I'd say, relax. He knows what he's doing. He did it, like this was purposeful. It took years to make, and uh, yeah, every scene had a purpose. Every every moment, I wouldn't shave a minute. It was wonderful. Yeah. Um, cinematography. I gotta say, probably even though Joker looked really cool, uh, yeah. <laughs> aesthetically pleasing. I, I can't. I can't deny Roger Deakins. Yeah, I think 1917 is definitely taking that one. I would not be surprised if they did a strange upset and chose Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I don't think it is better looking than 1917 personally, but I wouldn't be surprised if they threw a strange upset in there. Oh, you know what? Okay, that remains to be seen. Yeah. The, the Lighthouse also has phenomenal cinemato- cinematography, but black and white film isn't really having a moment right now, so I don't think they will go with that one. I actually watched The Lighthouse with my wife. Uh, we went to go see it, and I was kind of underwhelmed. Not because it was a bad movie. It just wasn't for me, right? It didn't work for me. I, I respected the ambition, but I felt like they were one sentence away from saying, shiver me timbers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it very much fits closer into the indie vernacular than it does into the Oscars, personally, from my opinion. <laughs> but but they acted well. Willem Dafoe put on a clinic. I can't deny it. Um, yeah. Who do you I, have for uh, director? Director, I'm going to go. Uh, I would say Tarantino. I uh, even though you know Greta Gerwig. I wanted if she's not she got snubbed. Not uh, nominated, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going with Bong Joon Ho for Parasite. You know what? I if, if Parasite sweeps everything, I will be a happy camper. Yeah, I'm me not, too. This is so a lot of my predictions are, you know, not just what my heart wants. It's like, okay, well if we're if we're betting, like if we were if we were to bet the house, right? Like what is gonna win? So, you know, I, I picked the Irishman not as a better, 
that like I bet with my heart on that one. But you know, if I were to bet the house, I say nineteen seventeen is taking Best Picture. Yeah, um, I think so too. I would jump for joy if Parasite does. Same. <laughs> uh, who do we get? Who do you have for Best Adapted Screenplay? Oh gosh, I need to go down to that category because I, you know, I just watched the Independent Film Spirit Awards last night. So um, let's see, Adapted. Oh gosh. I bet that Little Women will win. I would personally like to see Joker win because I thought that film was perfect from a screenplay standpoint, but I bet Greta Gerwig takes that one. Yeah, Greta, uh, she looks like she's going to take it. I, I voted with my heart there, too. I went, I went with that. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Uh, sure. But the original screenplay, I think uh, Tarantino's going to get that one. I think he's going to get that one too. Um, I, I really feel like that should go to Parasite, but, or you know what? Noah, ba- Noah Baumbach might come in there as a surprise too, but I feel like Tarantino, they'll probably give him that one. Well, they always give them that one because they never want to give him best director. So, I, <laughs> exactly. Going by the trends of other years. <laughs> they, they never give him best director. They always give him best adapter or best original screenplay. So you said Noah Baumbach and I have to say that Marriage Story also has a special place in my heart um, this year for movies. It was beautiful. It, I, it was very eerily real. Yes. Yes. My friend, <laughs> one, of my, one of my best friend actually has gone through a divorce. Uh, he's remarried. Uh, and, you know, Marriage Story really hit home for him. He's like, wow, this was hard. Yeah, I and can imagine. Hard, but he loved it. Uh, I, I, I want to see Noam Baumbach rewarded for this. Um, yeah, I love his screenplays. Um, you know, going back to Francis Ha when he made that film, um, I, I think he's a great writer. So I wouldn't be surprised if they threw a curveball for that one, but I have a feeling it's going to be Tarantino. Yeah, so so to, just to be clear, if, if, if Greta Gerwig gets best adapted, I'm happy. I'm a happy camper. I will not be a happy camper if, uh, you know, this is not one of those years where, um, you know, Sorry, I should, I, let me rephrase that. Uh, there's nothing that won't make me a happy camper because this is probably the best year for movies I've seen in a long time. Uh, I'd like to see really everybody get rewarded because the fourth quarter in 2019 was just spectacular. So, I mean, whoever wins, every, anybody who wins these Oscars, it's all deserved because it's such stiff competition this year. Yeah, it is it's really hard to tell. I kind of, when I vote, I kind of go based on trends from watching over the years and who I think the Academy will go for. And of course, I have my own personal picks, but they are mostly predictable. They'll throw in like at least one curveball every year, though. Yeah, they might reward Joe Pesci, who gave a great And you never know. You did that. You never know. <laughs> yeah, definitely. It's hard to pick some of the more technical categories, to be honest. Avengers Endgame. You think uh, visual effects? Yes. Okay. I, I and I wish, you know, they came, Robert Downey Jr. campaign for Best Actor. Why not? That was a beautiful movie. <laughs> I, 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 as a comic book fan, was, uh, you know, I've never been, uh, never been, you know, shown this much love from a franchise as a fan. Uh, they really wrote a love letter to us with that last Avengers movie. And yeah. You know, I I would not mind a little Oscar appreciation there, but you know, I don't control these things. So. <laughs> yeah, I have a feeling it might be uh, Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker, and I have not seen that film because I'm not really a Star Wars fan. But just that feeling. film made me no longer a Star Wars fan. It really, <laughs> it's very polarizing. I hear. <laughs> oh God! It's like you know, Ryan Johnson did something. He, he went. You know, he he tried something. He went risky with The Last Jedi, and it was great. And I thought it was, like, real filmmaking. And he took some risks, which is what I want to see. And then they, because of Twitter and Reddit, they freaking stripped all the stuff he did and gave us this, I don't know, man. It just hurt. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> I, know, I know some people have um, also strong opinions about Ford versus Ferrari getting editing. I feel good about that, actually. I picked it because, I don't know, the sound editing was, like, when I was in the theater watching it, it was, it was an experience. Like, the the car, I'm not a, I don't, I'm not a fan of NASCAR. I'm not a fan of any racing. I'm not. Me neither. I am a fan of James Mangold. I'm a fan of Christian Bale. And I'm a fan of Matt Damon. And that's what brought me there, right? Mm -hmm. So, 
uh, I suspended, you know, whatever, you know, I, like whatever my feelings are towards that, that, that genre and just enjoyed a good movie. And it was pleasantly surprised. I was, I was pleasantly surprised. And it, the sound editing was, well, I don't know if it's going to win, but it was really, you felt like you were there in the theater, right? Like it was just zoom, zoom, zoom. And I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, a lot of racing. It's a, it's a race car. <laughs> you have to seamlessly edit together all of the racing sounds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, maybe that is, maybe that is their category. That's where they fit in. You, I mean, you could tell that they were gunning for the Oscars making that film. I don't like even seeing the trailers like long ago. I was like, this is a film that they are definitely gunning for the Oscars, no matter whether it should be there or not. That's that was my feeling at the time, and and here they are. It's 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 so I, there's another podcast I listened to, um, uh, the Big Picture, and they called it a dad movie, and that is exactly what it is. It is a dad movie. <laughs> you have to pa- you have to pander to everybody. You know, there's something for everyone out there. It is the ultimate dad movie, and you know what? I I was here for it. I, 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 not my I'm not a dad yet, but yeah. I, I felt. You know, I'm like in the theater with a bunch of other dads. I'm like, hey, I'm married. You know, I'm married. this is uh, where we're supposed to be. <laughs> no, that's that's a demographic that is probably overlooked in cinema, to be honest. Because you think about it, you hear, you know, this age group, like twenty to forty or whatever it is, and then you hear the demographics of like, you know, women. Like, let's bring in the moms. We have the bad mom franchise. We have the kid movies that they'll bring their children to. And you know, where are the dads? Maybe you know. That maybe this is a good thing that this film emerged. <laughs> yeah, because like I think this was like uh, this this year was a little. I think studios went hard with like good uh, you know original old uh, IP and like and and trying to basically you know not give in to franchises taking over. And it was a great last stand. I feel like now you know the box office is like it's shared. There's more you know adult dramas that are getting money and getting recognition. And I, and 2019 was beautiful for that. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. I agree. I saw little women with my wife and I thought that was a beautiful movie. That, that, I, I, I especially loved that scene with uh, Florence Pugh when she was talking about giving up a painting and how she said, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to do this unless I'm great. I don't want to be good at it because my other, my only other option is to marry rich, right? Like that's the mm-hmm. all for women, right? And so it, 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 it really, you know, as far as we've made progress in 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 technology and 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 and, and healthcare and whatever, what have you, not a lot's changed in the gender dynamics, right? For for, mm-hmm. for women, and and it's not. It's sad that that's the same kind of crap that's happening today. Because even when uh, Joel was writing that book, uh, the publisher was like, "Well, does she die at the end, or does she get married? Like, that's her. That's her only option." I'm like, "That's, that's, right. that's on on exactly how people view women. It's just crazy. Like, you're better off married or dead. Like, I don't understand. So it's it was pretty. And and her like little monologue about wanting to be great because the only way you're gonna get out of like besides dying or being married is to be spectacular at something and be the, the one outlier, right? And if you can't do that, then there's no point in trying. I thought that was really sad. Yeah. You know, that that's actually a conscious decision that I made when writing um, better as well was to think about, you know, how the female is typically portrayed in film. And this is, you know, going back a little bit in our subject, but, um, you know, it was very important to me that we didn't have you know, the stereotypical dream girl, you know, she's not going to look the same uh, as you normally would see on screen. And and the dream girl is played by myself. So it was very important for me to not include like the stereotypical things that we see. So it's very interesting that um, that harkens back to Little Women, um, you know, a story that's been around forever and ever and, and so many different adaptations of it. Yeah, and it's not, it, it, the reason why Little Women works is because it's timeless. Because things are not changing, they, it's, it's always relatable, right? Mm-hmm. You can do that story in any setting, right? You don't even have to do it in that time period. You can, right. do, it now. You can do it in the future. You can do it. It's, it's, it's an immortal piece of art. And I, I think, think I would have liked to have seen that film take place in a different time period, to be honest. I think that would have been a really cool take on it. I don't personally care for the Little Women um, story, 
uh, I respect what, what it does and what it tells, but it's just never been something I've been interested in. You know, I don't need to see every, every adaptation of it personally, because the story remains the same. And that's probably just coming from my own personal viewpoint as a woman. I know a lot of women that love that film or the story and resonate with, you know, a particular character. But for me, it's kind of a frustrating story because things haven't changed. Ah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's true. It is a frustrating story. So I can see that for me because there's a lot of like racially driven movies that frustrate me too. Sure. They're done well. Sometimes, you know, they're not, they're not doing anything new, right? Mm-hmm. And so it's like, well, we get it. Racism is bad, but like, can we, you know, like I, I there's certain, um, yeah, no, I, 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 I understand exactly what you're talking about from that point of view. For me, uh, I was a kid when I watched the original Little Women. Mm-hmm. And I barely remember it. I didn't know the story. So when I watched this one, this was like a first time viewing for me. Oh, so sure. That's why it hit me the way it hit me. And yeah. it was. So I do understand your frustration, though, because for me, in, in, in a different category, I'm kind of, uh, I feel your pain there. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is what it is, unfortunately. It's, you know, I, I appreciate what Greta Gerwig tried to do. And she found different parts of the story that hadn't been told before, you know, that maybe other people overlooked when they wrote their films. But, and, and I really like her as a filmmaker as well. So don't discredit that for my opinion. <laughs> but I just don't really have any interest in that story personally. And that's understandable. Uh, I mean, Lady Bird was a better movie, in my opinion. Yeah. And you know what I find kind of interesting is most of the people that I have spoken with that like the film Little Women are men. So, you know what? I think she did her job. Yeah, she did. Because I walked out of that theater saying, wow, that was really good. And, and you know, it's like I, I recognize her signature, Greta Gerwig, and I like it. And it's something that I want. I, like, I'm, I'm, I'm in season tickets with her, too. You know what I mean? Like, I, I want like whatever she's doing next. I bought stock. I'm, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. You, know you I mean? need to go back and watch Lola Versus if you have never seen that film, and most people have not seen that film. <laughs> um, that's really when I loved her. I, I worked at the Tribeca Film Festival at the time, and they premiered that movie, and she's in it as well. Um, but that movie is just, it's, oh, I can't even explain it, but it really resonated with me. Lola hey. Versus. Okay, sold. I'm in. Do you have any uh, final thoughts on the Oscars and uh, any notes? You know, I I pretty much just want to see uh, Bong Joon Ho win Best Director and sweep everything because his speeches are so amazing. <laughs> Last night at the Independent Spirit Awards was a perfect example. You have to look on YouTube for his speech, but it was hilarious. Yeah, he had, uh, I guess for, what was it, the, uh, the SAG, was it the SAG Awards where he was talking about the subtitle, or oh, Golden Globes. Golden Globes, yeah. If you look over that one inch bar of the subtitle. It's true, foreign movies do not get enough love. And, I've and, and you know, I, I'm kind of guilty of not pursuing them a lot. I'll watch one here and there. Like, I just recently watched The Man from Nowhere, which was insane. Mm-hmm. It was like, you know, the Korean John Wick, before John Wick came out. So I think yeah. John, John Wick is actually the, 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 the American comedy. version. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think I'm going to make it a point to watch more foreign films because everybody has a story to tell. And it's, I, I just, I, I like, especially watch after watching Parasite, I was like, the amount of, you know, layered writing in that story is something I want to see in from every country, to be honest with you. So I think I'm, I think I'm uh, going to make it a point to, to check out everything. Yeah, there are so many good foreign films um, that people aren't aware of that live here. So many. Um, I like to watch French cinema myself. That is one area I studied in film school. Um, Italian cinema has so many different things. There are films that come out of South Africa that have a completely different perspective. And I mean, that's really what it comes down to is different perspective, but also like visually the style that they choose for so many different foreign films is completely different than we see here yeah i've been looking uh for french cinema I, i've seen a few um my favorite so far is uh, i saw that movie mezzarin and uh with uh vincent cassell mm-hmm. and uh and a prophet or um prophet which i loved um but i, I do want to see uh i guess one movie called lane i've never seen have you seen that 
Yeah, I, it's not coming to mind exactly what it's about, but yes, I have seen it. Yeah, I've heard nothing but good things. And also, again, another Vincent Cassell. I, I really like that guy. Um, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, he's, he's good. He's, <laughs> he's one of the French actors that's crossed over, I guess, to Hollywood. But Yeah, I think uh, for foreign films, I like to, I gravitate more toward different directors, if you will. Uh, um, Francois Truffaut is a French director. That was very cool. Uh, Jean-Luc Godard is also another one. Um, yeah, Godard, yes. Yeah, just different directors because they have their own style as well. So, I mean, I guess it's kind of the same concept here. Christopher Nolan, you know, whoever, <laughs> you know. But I think that's kind of how I choose my foreign films. And that's that's maybe kind of a narrow view. But I think now, you know, we've seen so many crossover into um, American cinemas. So now it's like we have that freedom to like want to explore more, you know, get past those subtitles, as he was saying, and and really appreciate what they do story-wise on the screen. And so do you have any final thoughts about your film that you want to get out and, and share with the people? You know what? I just really hope that people want to support um, independent film and specifically a film that comes from an angle you haven't seen before. You know, we have mental health at the at the forefront of our film but we also have love at the center so i think it's an important story i really hope that people get to see it and i can't wait to uh we'll share the link and everything when you send it to me and uh, i'll put it on all platforms uh, awesome well thank you for uh joining me on the podcast and hopefully i can have you back again thank you appreciate it all right have a great day this is sinestro podcast everybody have a good day